You're listening to the Author Stories Podcast. Bringing you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Margaret Wyatt, Terry Brooks, Sheena Kamal, Matthew Quick, JT Ellison, Walt D. Williams, Brad Ford, Corey, Dr. O, Brandon Robin Mock, Ernest Klein, Jim Butcher, Sherwin Harris. Visit HankGarner.com for archives of all the shows. Today's guest is... Well, thanks for joining me again for the Author Stories Podcast, where I bring you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Today, I'm really excited to have Yafa Santos on the show with me. She's got a really great book. Uh, it's called A Touch of Moonlight. And when you're hearing this episode, it, uh, it's available everywhere. You can run out and grab it at your local bookstore or use the Amazon links that we'll have in the show notes. Uh, welcome to the show, Yafa. Thank you, Hank. Thanks for having me today. I'm so excited to have you. Um, Yafa, we begin each show with the same question. And that question is, what is your first memory of wanting to be a writer or storyteller? Well, when I was about five or six years old, I had some toys that I wanted to buy. I had gone and asked my parents, can you please buy this for me? And they said, we're not just going to buy it for you. You have to earn it. So think of some kind of work you can do to earn some money so you can get these toys. And at the time, that's the kind of work that I thought. I said, well, I can write a book. I really liked writing and illustrating books. So I started writing children's books. I did illustrated maybe like 10 to 15 page books. And that was how I earned my toys back then. I love it. So that, uh, that I'm assuming that, uh, kind of solidified your love of story that there's something about, um, you know, getting a, a book as a gift is, is, is magical. There, there's nothing, um, there's no doubting that, but there's something about spending your own money. Um, it makes you kind of feel more connected to the story in a way. Did, did you feel that way? Absolutely. And I think I lived in stories. I mean, I was a kid who was always thinking of a story, you know, imagining what would it be like in different situations. If, if certain elements of the setting were changed, I, I got on my report cards all the time, you know, too much daydreaming or, you know, gets good <laughs> grades, but too much daydreaming. <laughs> That's awesome. So when did when did the bug strike you? Like you know, you're connecting with these stories. You're you're um, you know getting lost in these magical worlds. When did it occur to you that you know maybe I could do this? Well, the first time that I, I mean, I was always an avid reader, but the first time that I started working on a novel was probably about ten years ago. I had an idea for a novel, and I said, okay. I'm going to find a critique partner and start sending them pages. That was when I, I actually finished a novel for the first time. And before then, I think I had tried a couple of times to, to write a character and I had filled out the story a little bit, but I didn't get very far. I didn't finish them, but really working with a critique partner was the way that I was able to finish a novel for the first time. And then, I mean, my first novel was like a throwaway novel. <laughs> It was, you know, it was not like something that I planned to publish ever, but it gave me the 
the confidence I could complete an entire novel. And then after that, I wrote my what became my first published novel, which is A Taste of Sage. There really is something to be said for that first novel, um, proving to yourself that you can get from idea to a finished first draft. Uh, you know, whether and, and no matter what you plan to do with that, whether you publish or not, there nothing can replace that sense of accomplishment, can it? I agree with you. I think in, like I mentioned in my twenties, I tried to write several times. I had a character I wanted to work with and it didn't go anywhere, but it's just, you right. That feeling of being able to finish the novel and okay, I have a completed novel here. It lets you know, like, okay, I can continue. This is doable because it can feel like an insurmountable hurdle before you actually complete the first draft. Um. You you mentioned that there were several um, ideas that really didn't go anywhere. Um, looking back now, and having you know two novels that that were finished and and published, and then looking back at those other ideas that really never came to fruition or didn't go anywhere or you know whatever metaphor uh, you use for that, can you can you look back and tell the difference in the books that you finished and that found a publishing home versus the ideas that, that just never matured. Hmm, wow. I think that for one of the major ideas that I worked with that didn't go anywhere, it, it was probably, I mean, at the time I was working at a, a wellness center and I was very disenchanted with like the kind of uh, gurus who would come and do presentations because, you know, being on the staff, you would see in, in one light, they were very, Oh, I'm so enlightened. And then when there was nobody around, they were kind of totally different people. Yeah. So I think that for this, for, for the, one of the ideas I didn't finish, it was about, you know, a young woman who kind of gets sucked into one of these gurus situations. and then. I think that the reason I didn't continue is just maybe there wasn't enough of, I mean, my two published books are, are romance women's fiction. And I think just the positivity and like the uplift, that's something that gives me the the energy to continue the project to fruition. The other one was a little depressing. And I think that's maybe why I was like, okay, this is getting too depressing. I need to stop. Both of your published books, A Taste of Sage and your your new book, A Touch of Moonlight, um, have have food as a, um, if not a central theme, a um, uh, a very prominent theme. Let, let's just put it that way. Um, what is it about the culinary arts that fascinate you personally and and why is it that they become um, such an integral part of your storytelling? Food is just very emotional for me. I, I'm very aware of the connections between food and whether it's food and love, food as a way of people showing love, food as a way of people coming together as a community. So when I was thinking about writing romance, that kind of became very prominent to me as a way for people to express their love, this idea of food, people expressing their love through food people expressing their creativity through food became something that I really wanted to work with with my characters. 
food is a, is a really interesting um, uh, subject because it's something that we're all extremely familiar with. It's, it's uh, <laughs> kind of at the core of of our beings in that if you don't eat, you don't survive, literally. Um, yet it it's one of these things that has um, a lot of emotion tied up in it and a lot of um, you know, food can be from the mundane to the decadent and and it's something that we have to have yet you know there's such a such a scale uh, such a diversity of of pleasure that that can be derived from it, it it's really a, a fascinating metaphor when you're when you're talking about romance uh novels is it's it's interesting the way you can weave that in there and food can take on so much more meaning than just survival I think so. And in A Taste of Sage, I explored that a lot in the positive and the negative sense. I mean, I have a main character who ended up, it ended up being discovered that she had this gift to taste food and know what the person was cooking because she refused to eat her mother's food. <laughs> so the food was, was angry and it was, it was charged with negative emotion. And that's how she ended up, you know, being revealed as a person who had this gift. But it kind of goes both ways. Food can be a vehicle for for love, for care, and it can also be an, a vehicle for perceiving emotions in another way. I mean, I think that almost everybody I've talked to about this, like, would you want to eat something that was cooked by somebody who was angry at you when they cooked it? I've never heard a person say, yes, I don't care. People are like, even if they don't believe that there's any kind of like energetic effect or anything just on the, on a purely emotional basis, whether they believe in, in any kind of, I guess, spiritual aspect or not. When I've asked people, okay, well, would you, you know, eat something that somebody was angry at you cooked across the board? People say no. Some of them are like, maybe they spit in it and I don't know. <laughs> so I'm like, maybe they poison it. But it's it's like a, a visceral response of you no, know, like I don't want to receive, I don't want to put in my body something that's made by somebody who's focusing on the thought of me in an angry way. Right, right. That makes perfect sense. Uh, yeah, for one of the the uh, the things that I love to talk about most of all is the beginnings of things, the the birthplace of a story. Um, in in one moment, um, a project like a taste of sage or um, a touch of moonlight, they, they don't exist in any form or fashion. They, they, just, they just don't exist. And then either a character walks onto the stage of your mind, or you start playing the what-if game that, that all of us writers do. You know, you, you, you either read a news story or, or, or see something on, on TV, and you know, the, the, the what-if game just starts playing in your mind, and then you start casting that what-if scenario with, characters uh that you make up and then that story does exist and then it's your job as the writer to kind of dig that out and polish it up and and then a book is born um for a taste of sage what was that moment of inspiration well for a taste of sage i could say at the time my sister had gone to culinary school and she was telling me all the stories I'd come she'd come home and I hear stories about how the chefs were fighting and 
people were crying, just the drama. It started out with this aspect of, I cannot believe the, the drama that goes on in these kitchens. It's more than what people see on TV. And I thought, you know, somebody has to, to write about this. I had already kind of been working with a, a story of, of a character that was able to have something beyond the five senses. So it became, you know what? I can have her be a woman chef who lives and works in New York. And then her, her ability can be to taste food and know what the cook was feeling when they cooked it. Gotcha. Um, after a taste of sage, um, something that we've talked about a lot on the show is the, the gift of anonymity. Um, before you publish that first novel, no one knows who you are. Um, no one knows that you're a writer. No one knows anything about your story. And and no one expects anything because they don't know to expect anything. And then you publish that first book and then you you have a reputation. You you have people that that liked your first book and want to follow along. You know, what is she going to do next? And then, um, you know, there comes uh, sort of, a, you know, an anxiety that can come with that second book and and following that up. Um, what was that like for you after publishing A Taste of Sage? Um, you know, developing uh, a, a following and then coming up with that second book idea? Well, I came up with the second book idea for the, for A Touch of Moonlight not that long after I published A Taste of Sage. I work, started working on A Touch of Moonlight around September 2020, so maybe about four months after. Uh, the only thing that I can say that was very different is that I wrote an outline for A Touch of Moonlight. Once I decided I was clear on who the characters were and that this was going to become a book, I wrote an outline because I had heard a lot about writer's block for stuff from our novel. And I just thought, you know, I don't want to get to 50% in and then all of a sudden not know. I want to know where I'm going with this before I start out on this sure. journey. So I, that was the first one that I wrote an outline from chapter one until the epilogue. And I did end up tweaking it as I went along, but through the entire process of writing a touch of moonlight i always knew where i was going gotcha what, whereas with a taste of sage oh, i'm sorry guys no 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 i'm sorry i'm sorry i didn't mean to cut you off go ahead no problem with a taste of sage that wasn't the case i with a taste of sage i had over a hundred thousand words that i had to cut down when it was time to to edit it and it ends up being 70 but yeah i had to cut out thirty thousand words because there were so many subplots and side things going on that there was you know Subplots I plan to follow that afterwards I decided, eh, I'm not going to do that. And it would have been easy to get lost. So with a touch of moonlight, I just said, mm, I'm not doing that. So, so that's fascinating to me with, with a touch uh, with a taste of sage. I'm sorry. I, I combined both those <laughs> into one huh? or um, a, a taste of sage. How did you start, you know, kind of dissecting the book and figuring out what to pull out? What, was there any methodology that you followed or was it just reading through and just kind of making notes to yourself? Like, like, how do you, how do you kind of develop a plan for a book that's already written, but needs to be revised? So the majority of the material that I had to cut out was not as challenging for me to decide because I had a third person's perspective in the novel. It ended up being dual perspective between the two main characters, but I originally had a third person whose POV was also in the book. So just with cutting that one person out, I cut like 20,000 words right there. 
And that was challenging because it was the, it was a, a character that's still in the book. There's a, a third character, um, Esme, who ends up being jilted by the the chef of the restaurant, and she uh, seeks to get her revenge. In a, in a sense, it ended up being um, a lot less overt. But that was while the two main characters were getting to know each other. This jilted person was growing angrier and angrier and expressing themselves. So from the time that I took out her point of view, it ended up being a lot more linear and like, you know, this happens and this happens and this happens and this happens. And, and that did help uh, editing a lot. Gotcha. So then um, when it's time to start on the second book and, um, and you do, you initially have an idea and then start, you, you said that you outlined it. So what, what was the process of, of getting to understand the characters and know the story as you started outlining? Well, before I did the outline, I wrote the first three chapters, I think. And that was just to get comfortable. I wanted to see for my main character, Larimara, I wanted to see what is her voice? What does her voice sound like? And this book was all in, in Larimara's voice. So it was, I wanted to make sure I knew her voice before I decided what was going to happen in her story. So I did the first three chapters. I kind of played with her voice, see like how, what kind of attitude she's going to have, you know, kind of adjusted the uh, sarcasm. <laughs> and and then I, I knew, okay, well, since she is this kind of person, this is what's going to happen. And it didn't vary that much. I mean, I, I ended up, I, I like I said, I tweaked it a little bit, but I pretty much had an idea from the beginning of where her story was going to go. Gotcha. Um, so in, in a touch of moonlight, um, there's a, there's a different aspect to this book than your first one in that it takes on um, sort of their, their fantastical elements to the story. Um, what was the, the idea behind uh, kind of branching the story out in a little different way? Well. My process was not that different than from A Taste of Sage. I mean, for A Taste of Sage, I started with the idea that I wanted to work with a woman chef. But then just, I think this is the way that my mind works. For, for it to be interesting me, I want there to be an aspect that goes beyond the five senses. So that's where she you know, came to have this gift. And then for A Touch of Moonlight, I actually, believe it or not, I started out with the idea of wanting to do like a 90s rom-com uh, retelling. And I was thinking of You've Got Mail. Right. So I started, you know, because it was one of my favorite uh, rom-coms from the 90s. Oh, you've got mail. Like, I can so imagine this being being a book. And then as I started to work with the character, I said, oh, same thing. Like, I need there to be another aspect of this that kind of is beyond the five senses. And I kind of played with different things. And I said, you know what? I think that she could be a Siwapa, which is a, a folklore character from Dominican folklore. What was the um, what was the idea behind bringing in the Dominican folklore? Uh, because that is, that's such a adds such lush texture to the book. Um, you know, for for people who might not be familiar um, with with the folklore of of that society, um, how do you balance you know doing an info dump? Uh, you know, for to bring people up to speed while also you know keeping the story engaging and you know the plot moving along and 
and not just overwhelming people with new information? Well, I have a short version that I say when people ask, what is a Siguapa? The, the easiest thing to say a Siguapa is a character from Dominican folklore. She's known for having long, straight hair and backwards facing feet. That's like the one minute, you know, soundbite version. There's so much. I mean, this is hundreds and hundreds of years. And there's a lot of other cultures that have a version of the Siguapa too. They just have different names. So sometimes people have heard of a similar character and they're able to relate on that aspect. But really, I think what helped for me was, even though this is a folkloric character and a mythical being, she's living her life in our world today. So I think combining those elements and just thinking about, okay, she's going through her day. She's taking the train to work. She's making coffee. She's working in an office building. How are these things different because she's a mythical being? That's what gave me kind of the way to to weave in those elements without making it, like you said, like an info dump, like, boom, here's all this stuff in the past 500 years. Like nobody <laughs> wants to read that. So it's more an aspect of, of weaving those elements. Okay, she's going around her day just like anybody else, but it's different because she is a mythical being who's trying to keep an identity secret. Was it difficult um, telling a story with with mythical aspects um, rather than being grounded in the things that we can things that we can all touch and feel and taste? Um, is there any I guess what I'm asking is if your first book um, kind of went outside the five senses by using um food and and kind of connecting us in, in an ethereal kind of way um, with now coming to um, adding the folklore aspects and the the kind of mystical um, is, is that more difficult to to weave that kind of story when when there are aspects that you can't you know uh, connect to with your five physical senses if that makes sense at all yes it makes sense. I think that it felt somewhat daunting when I was beginning and I was a little bit afraid of, you know, how am I going to describe what it's like to, you know, run down by the river when you're a, you know, part forest creature. I, I think so. But I think again, like when it was difficult to kind of tease those things out, that's when I really relied on, the mundane aspects and kind of the balance between those things like she's a mythical forest being and she's going to run down by the river but then she's going to go get her oil changed you know like it's just so (laughs) it really what helped me a lot was when some things were happening that or she was having contact with other siguapas that would visit her like i would go from that to something very mundane like she's filling out reports at her desk it just shows, I mean, this was this was the constant challenge that, that she was having, that Lari Mara's having, is balancing the fact that she can go to a body of water and see other Siguapas with the fact that she has to go back to her desk and fill out a PL report for work. Right. Right. Your your second book um that you uh that you outlined before writing compared with your first book that you had to edit and trim after the fact. Um, I, I think a lot of people, when they when they think about outlining, they think of it as this sort of daunting, um, uh, you know, and, and I think we're, you know, we all have ideas of, of making outlines in middle school English. And 
there's there's nothing exciting about that. And, And I think that turns a lot of people off to the planning stage of a novel. Um, but having done done it both ways, um, outlining from the beginning or, um, you know, having to trim on the back end, which of the, which of those did you find easier? Honestly, I found outlining easier because there was less that I had to cut out and there was less that I was attached to, like the whole right. kill your darlings thing. That was really hard for me with a taste of sage. There are parts of the book that felt so important to me that I could never imagine not being there, but yet when I got to the end, they didn't make sense anymore. And that was, that was really hard to let them go with this. I didn't have as much. I mean, of course I still went through the lengthy editing process, but there wasn't as much of there's this subplot that I love so much and I'm going to have to cut it out because it doesn't make sense anymore. Right. Makes perfect sense. Um, Yafa, if, if we know anything about the publishing industry, um, this book, A Touch of Moonlight, has probably been off your desk for several months now. Um, w- what have you turned your attention to now? Is there a new book you're working on? I've just been kind of resting and then also playing with writing a little bit nonfiction. I'm not sure yet where I'm going to go with that. But I, as the time has been getting longer, which is absolutely true, like you said, it must be, must be at least seven months since I've been actively editing um, A Touch of Moonlight. Uh, there is one character from A Touch of Moonlight. Her name is Anjani, and she's uh, Ray's sister, who Ray's the, the second main character. I've been thinking about doing a story for her and having it something that uh, treats issues of mental health or looks at issues of mental health. Especially, especially eating, which is funny because it's like the other side of the coin. I've done a lot of writing about cooking and food, but I've been thinking about doing a little writing about eating disorders. So I'm kind of going to see where I go with that. Well, I can't wait to see what comes up next. Um, Yafa, uh, this has been so much fun chatting. Um, a Touch of Moonlight, when you're hearing this, will be available everywhere and you can grab it at your local bookstore or Use the uh, the Amazon links to grab it, Kindle edition or paperback or audiobook. Um, Yafa, if people are, are just discovering you and want to dig into all the great stuff that you're up to, is there a place online where they can connect with you? Yes, I do have a website, which is my first name and last name, yafasantosauthor.com. So it'll be www.yafasantosauthor.com. And then I'm also on Instagram as at yafasantos.author. Excellent. We'll link those up to make it easier for folks to find you. A Touch of Moonlight, when you're hearing this, will be available everywhere. Go grab your copy today. Uh, Yafa, thank you so much for taking time to come on the show. Thank you, Hank. Thanks for having me on the show. It's been great chatting with you today.